you'll have to forgive me. Uh, being an old codger, I'm not used to technology, so uh, we'll probably be going over today. So feel free to switch the lights off and just leave me talking. Everything will be all right. Don't worry about it. Uh, I, I'm finding it very hard, to be honest, to accept that I'll be 55 in four years' time. And, and I haven't got around to learning how to use the, this technology with computers and prints here on the wall here. So I'd like you to pray for me that I can find someone to uh, learn from. And I don't want to put him on the spot. I've got someone in mind. So I'll just mention his initials. And his initials are Paul Owens. Pat Owens. Pat Owens. See, I don't even know his name. This morning we continue, uh, as you can see, with a little sign up here, this very small little label on the wall, that we're relying on God. That is the series that we're dealing with. And uh, I personally have been um, assigned the brief, so to speak. Sounds like a bit like Mission Impossible, doesn't it? The brief to bring us the beauty out of Psalm number 1, the richness of the original languages and what it presents to us in the form of relying on God. And I don't know about you people, but you see the sign and you see the uh, title and you think, well, it's a bit obvious, isn't it? We rely on God, but not so. Uh, We take it for granted. I've been famous in the past many years ago of uh, getting on my knees and praying to the Lord. And when I finish, next thing I know, I'm rolling up my sleeve and saying, "Okay, now where do I get started? And you think, you can imagine him standing there and saying, well, hello, I thought you asked me to help you. And uh, But praise the Lord, quite a few years now, I have been relying on him and following on from what Brendan said, it is a sensational feeling to share with you, a sensational feeling to leave everything in his hand, whether you want something in life. And it's a bit like uh, cricket, I love my cricket, the batsman in cricket. God does answer prayer, and he answers prayers in three ways, yes, no, and wait. When the batsman has the shot, as you know, hits the ball, it's supposed to call out yes, no, and wait. And that's what we uh, govern by. So, briefly from Psalm number one, I propose to extrapolate the richness of the original languages and bring forth two particular aspects that come under the heading of relying on God, and they are refreshment and also fruitfulness for the believer in Christ. That's my aim, and uh, we'd like to turn now to, with me to Psalm number one. And I'll read it for you. I don't know what it is in your particular Bibles. I'm using a different Bible, so they don't hold it against me. Psalm number one. A little bit of a background to it. The Psalms are lyrics of poetry, Hebrew poetry, and written for song, uh, assigned uh, by a particular group of the Levi tribe. And uh, they, of course, are for the purpose of worshipping and praising the Lord. They were written, all the Psalms were written around about 1440 BC, at the time of Moses, and all the way through to 586, the Babylonian captivity. And um, it involves, of course, musical instruments. God is big with music. And we're blessed this morning hearing some music. So we have Psalm number one and we read, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. 
and in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked, not so. They are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This particular psalm, I don't hold it against me, but I like to go deep into the word of God, is called an antithetical psalm, whereby it contrasts between the believer and the unbeliever, and we'll see that in a moment. But uh, also, we read verse 1, How blessed is the man! And this is the richness of the original languages, in this case the Old Testament in Hebrew. You don't get that in the English, it doesn't do it justice. The actual word in Hebrew is esha, and it's in the plural. And you realise and you glorify the Lord, of course, everyone that's sitting here today in this congregation and you've accepted Christ as your personal saviour, you are blessed in more ways than one, not just one. That's the sort of God that we've got. So it's in plural there. How blessed is the man? Uh, Don't hold it against God for not being politically correct and mentioning just man here. It really riles me how we're living in, in an age where political correctness is going crazy. But the Lord says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. And man here is not uh, Adam, as in uh, Homo sapien. The word here is Ish, a beautiful Hebrew word which means man. And you add A-H to it and you get Isha, which means woman. So how blessed is the man, the noble man, now you might say noble man, how do you get noble man? Well that's in the original languages and we are noble, Adam came from the hand of God, nothing comes from the hand of God that's not perfect and when we're regenerated we become noble. As we read in Peter, we are a chosen race, a holy nation and a royal priesthood and you have the right to go before God in prayer and acting as a priest. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. So you can more or less say, another way of saying it is, oh, the blessings of the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Counsel here means a thought pattern, and the wicked is a synonym for ungodly or unjustified person who's a believer. Nor sits, nor stands in the path of sinners. Sinners being a synonym for unbelievers. He doesn't get involved. He doesn't keep company. The believer doesn't keep company with people who are doing the wrong thing. And we also read, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Now scoffers is a beautiful word in the Hebrew. The word is lutz. And originally it meant stammer. So somebody would have a speech impediment and they would stammer. And you can just imagine people mocking them and going, lutz, 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 lutz. So it became to be known as a mockery. But he delights in the law of the Lord. And the law of the Lord, of course, is the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, the word of God. Delights here, the Hebrew word ketetz means he actually comes from a love angle and he desires with love in his heart. I'll just catch up on my notes here, I'm going too fast. The desires of his heart, yes, the Old Testament law. Now, I'd like to challenge you this morning, (coughs) excuse me, 
From the aspect of refreshment, I'd like to challenge you to make a resolution for 2018. The secular world out there worries about smoking or losing weight. I feel that we should glorify the Lord. Now, the elders have made a decision. God bless them, and they should be highly commended that 2018 becomes a year whereby we raise the bar, so to speak, and we increase our knowledge of the Lord by by uh, getting into the word of the Lord, getting deep and learning new doctrines. And uh, we glorify the Lord and we refresh ourselves. We don't want to be stagnant. As somebody said, if you don't progress, you're actually going backwards because you're not learning any new and you're starting to forget what you already know. So you're actually going backwards. So I'd like to challenge you with that this morning. And um, we, I pray that if it's by the Lord's will that I'm asked to, to speak again, I'd like to share with you some wonderful things that I find fascinating. So I'd like to whet your appetite. For example, in Genesis 1.1, 1, 1, uh, in the English there's ten words. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, but in the Hebrew it's seven words, and those seven words mean so much. Would you believe they actually debunk eight faith systems, eight religions, those, those seven words. The Bible is coded. I don't know if you come across it in your studies, but a Jewish rabbi uh, worked out the code in 1996, but of course you don't hear much about it, do you? And it's absolutely sensational. I get all goosebumps because the word of God is coded whereby every 49th letter is, means something and f- forms words. It's sensational. And God, of course, not only being God of uh, righteousness and love, he's a God of logic, a God of humour, and is the great mathematician. And if I was to be blessed to show you some of the things, especially by video, you will really appreciate uh, the Lord. we got Genesis 1-2, uh, following on from 1-1, and we read in our Bibles, and the earth became without form and void. But in the original it's not so. In the Hebrew it's not the case at all. It says, but the earth became blood and void. And some believe there's a gap between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Uh, in Genesis 1-8 we read that the Lord didn't say it was good on the second day. Have we ever wondered why? There's a reason, it's fascinating why. Did you know that in Genesis chapter 5 the ten patriarchs actually give mankind a message and it's the gospel message? So here we have the gospel message in the Old Testament. Did you know that if eight conditions are not met, we obstruct God from answering our prayer? There's a doctrine, of course, of Jesus Christ and his two natures, which I find personally fascinating. In theological terms, it's called the hypostatic union, whereby God was, uh, Jesus was undiminished deity, but true humanity at the same time. And it's a difficult one to come to grips with. Then we have the teaching of 40 things that happen to a believer at the precise moment they accept Christ as Lord and Saviour and they're generated. Have we noticed in Genesis, for example, that the, the door of the ark remained open for seven days? Everything was ready to go, but it remained open for seven days. Is, what's the meaning behind that? And is there a parallelism regarding that? Parallelism, it's hard to say. Uh, do we realise as a congregation that at this very moment, uh, 21st of January 2018 where are we on God's clock where are we on God's calendar well do we realise that we're actually 
in Daniel 9, 24 to 26, and in Revelation 3, 14, the Laodicean church. We read in uh, a very touching uh, passage in Revelation where the Lord is saying, send the letter to the Ephesians, a church in Ephesus, and he says specifically, you have left your first love. And that really does something to me. I know it doesn't make me a spiritual giant, which I'm not, but it just makes me a very emotional, typical Greek. But I love that passage because you know why? Ephesus means darling. Ephesus means beloved. And the Lord is devastated, so to speak. And he says, you've left your first love, you've forgotten about me. So I ask you, brothers and sisters, have you left your first love? Have you neglected yourself? Should we take on board what we heard with Brendan and Robin this morning? Don't we need refreshment in that regard? Shouldn't we rekindle our relationship and our beautiful romance with the Lord? I believe we should. Proverbs 3.5 says, Trust, in other words, rely on the Lord with all your heart and lean not. In other words, don't rely on your own understanding. Now, in order to rely on the Lord, of course, you have to know who you're dealing with. Why would we rely on the Lord? You know, automatically, when we think that we can do it ourselves, you're actually not relying on the Lord. So we have to satisfy in in fairness, and God, of course, has got nothing to fear. He, in fact, says in Thessalonians, as we know, test all things, hold fast that which is good. And so we look into the character, the divine attributes of the Lord, his credentials, so to speak, so we can be satisfied. Well, after we look into you, maybe we should rely on you. And we find that firstly, the Lord is sovereign. Psalms 2, 1 to 4, Daniel 4, 35. God is eternal life. Genesis 1, 1 and John 1, 1. By the way, another example of a very poor translation. We read in Genesis 1, 1, Bereshith in the Hebrew, which means in the beginning. And in John 1, 1, we read Enadhi in the Greek. But that's terrible because how can it be a beginning when God doesn't have a beginning? So it should actually say in eternity past. And Psalms 102.27 talks about the uh, attribute of the Lord who's got eternal life. Our Lord is omnipotent. Genesis 17.1. Isaiah 55.11. So seeing he's all-powerful, why wouldn't you rely on him? He is omnipresent. Psalms 139.7-12. So you don't have to drive somewhere to see him. You don't have to go to a Benny Hinn concert, because that's all it is, it's a concert. And you don't have to wait for the Lord to come because he's with you. He's with us at at the moment. He's with us right here. God is omniscient, which means all-knowing. Romans 11, 33, 34. 1 Samuel 16, 7. He is righteousness. God hasn't got righteousness. He is righteousness. Psalms 145, 17. So you can rely on him, actually, to make the right decision. God is justice. Romans 2, 11. Again, a mistranslation in your Bibles. Uh, Some of you might have a Bible that says that God is no respecter of persons. That doesn't say that at all in the original. It says that uh, for there is no partiality with God. God doesn't play favourites. So again, why wouldn't you rely on him? God is love, which of course is the overriding attribute of the Lord. 1 John 4.16 and... 
God is immutable, he can't change. Psalms 126, 27. This, by the way, again, I apologise, would have been beautiful if we could have it on the, on the wall there. Uh, Hebrews 38 says the Lord doesn't change, so because he doesn't change and he's perfect, then you've got no risk in relying on him. And finally, uh, God is truth. Uh, this one really does something to me, and I'd like to share it with you. It would have been great if we had it by the projector. In John 14:6, the Lord says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But I'd like, on this particular occasion, if you'd like to turn into your Bibles, to John 18.33 and there's a particular reason why I'd like to share with you John 18.33 New Testament Gospel of John chapter 18 verse 33 therefore Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him are you the king of the Jews? He asked Jesus that, by the way, in Aramaic, thinking that he would do him a favour. Maybe he was showing off that he can speak Aramaic. Jesus answered, verse 34, Jesus answered in Latin, and he said, are you saying this on your own initiative, or did others tell you about me? We'll jump to 37 because we're restricted with time. Verse 37 Therefore Pilate said to him, So you are a king? And Jesus answered, You say correctly that I'm a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Now in some uh, films from Hollywood we see that uh, Pilate gets upset and, and frustrated and goes, Truth, truth, what is truth? But we see in the scriptures that only is mentioned once here in the sense that Pilate said to him in verse 38, what is truth? And why I find it fascinating is, and I hope you do too, in the Latin, what is truth is written as follows. Quid est veritas. I don't know if I pronounced it properly here for the Italians that we've got here in the congregation. Quid est veritas. What is truth? Why it's fascinating is because if we turn that question into an anagram, an anagram being we take the letters and rearrange them and form them into other words, the letters forming the words quid est veritas, what is truth, become est vir qui adest. And est vir qui adest means it is he that stands before you. See, Jesus is the truth. The truth is not a thing. Jesus is a person. The truth is a person. I find that absolutely fascinating. No coincidence at all. Back to our Psalms, in verse 3, we have, He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. And that is what a believer is like. If you have accepted your, your Jesus as your personal saviour, you'll be like a tree that's firmly planted. 
The tree, by the way, is analogous to a believer. And uh, inner happiness that we're talking about, the word blessing means inner happiness. The strength of the tree is on the inside. And the strength of a believer is on the inside too, of course. And notice, you'll be like a tree that's been planted. It's not a wild tree. You have been planted by the Lord. In Matthew 15:13, we read, Jesus answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. And it's planted by streams of water. Streams here meaning many doctrines. So if you are a tree and you're rooted into the Word of God, the Bible, you will learn many doctrines. And you will have inner blessings. You will have Isha. If you're firmly rooted and all of us this morning are here and we have problems, we have dramas in our life, everyone is hurting, everyone's in pain. If you are firmly rooted, when adversity strikes, although you can get shaken, although you can be affected by storms, although you might lose the occasional branch in the wind, Nothing will uproot you. Your Christian life will have stability. Your roots will receive nourishment and you will learn doctrines. And the word water here symbolises the word of God. So if you're by the water... If you're always leaning on the word of God, you can't go wrong. Continuing verse 3, we see which yields its fruit in its season. And here's another perfect example about the original languages. How am I doing for time there? In the original languages, Nathan is the word for yields. And why it's important is because in the Hebrew grammar, they call it the P-A-L stem, Nathan is in intensive form signifying intensity and pressure and how that applies to us is the tree, that's you and me can produce fruit under intense pressure if we are stable like we heard just before under pressure, intense pressure and stress even to the point of death if we take it all the way and we perfect and edify the Lord we can be stable and even under stress in the form of a death of a loved one. We can be stable. And its leaf does not wither. In other words, the faith does not cease. And the presence of the leaves means that there's an indication of fruit when there's leaves there. So we come to the fruitfulness aspect this morning of our study and the message which is the believer producing divine good. There's two types of good we shouldn't get mixed up with. Divine good, whereby we give glory to the Lord. And there's also human good, where we do it in the energy of the flesh and we look for uh, the applause and we wait to hang around and sign autographs and we give the glory to ourselves instead of the Lord. That is human works. And, of course, that gets burnt in uh, the judgment seat of Christ. To start off with, we can't produce fruit if we're not in fellowship. And I'd like to pose something for you this morning. 
a bit like the advertisement with the Japanese trucks, please consider. Can you possibly tell me that you've got peace if you believe you can lose your salvation? How can you say you're relying on God if you believe that? Please take it on board. I tell you because I love you and I care for you. You can't. You'll never have peace, by the way. Doesn't matter which country you go to, which church you go to. If you can't rely on God's word that you're saved, you won't have peace and you won't have stability. You can't lose your salvation, but you can lose your fellowship. And why would it be very difficult to follow? As parents, the same thing. Does your child stop being your child when something goes wrong? But he's in the bad books, or she's in the bad books, isn't she? So he's out of fellowship until they come back into the fold. And Jesus will bring you back into the fold. He's gorgeous. I love him. He will start off with a feather. He'll say, come on, Raph. Come on, Judy. Come on. Come on, you know better than that. And if you don't listen, the longer it takes, the worse it is because the feather turns into a hammer and the hammer into the weapons of mass destruction. But eventually he'll bring you back. So you can lose your fellowship. Why do I mention that? Because if you're out of fellowship, you can't produce fruit. So we've got the famous phrase, that verse in the Bible, 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, and confess, by the way, is like the court of law, whereby you have to name your sin, cite the sin, C-I-T, and not just say I sinned, you have to name the sin and say, this is what I did yesterday, Lord, I stole something. If we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us our sins. So we can rely on him. And then it says, and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. In other words, automatically he cleanses us from the sins that we don't even remember we did. Or we did them, but it wasn't willing. In Psalm 50.15 we say, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you and you will honour me. And when the Lord said that and we read that, do we believe that? Isn't that totally appropriate to what we're talking about today? You notice, by the way, and some miss this, when Martha came to Jesus and told him about Lazarus, you missed the boat, JC, you're a bit late. He's dead, in fact, he stinks. He's been dead for four days. And, she, and he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he said, do you believe me? We shouldn't miss that last part. He said, do you believe me? So do we believe it? Do we believe that if we call upon the Lord in the day of trouble, he shall rescue us and then we honour him in return? In John 15:7, Jesus says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. How appropriate is that to this series of relying on the Lord? Finishing off now in verse 3, in Psalms chapter, in Psalm number 1, we read, And in whatever he does, he prospers. Not quite a good translation. The original actually said succeeds, because success and prosperity are two different things. But it's interesting, the word does. See, the English language doesn't do it justice, like I said. In the Hebrew, we don't, they don't just say made, 
like we do in English, made, and made could mean created, whatever. And we see in Genesis the beautiful Hebrew words bara, which means ex nihilio, created something out of nothing. And we read asa, which is the word here, created something out of something. And we see the word yatse, which means to sculpt something that's already there. And the beautiful word bana that applies to you women. See, the Lord banad the woman from the rib. He built her. You check your Bible, it actually says in the original languages, the Lord built her from the rib. And here we got asa, which means creating something out of something. And why is it important? Because it means that when we produce fruit, it's because of the Lord providing something in the first place. So we're making something out of something. And the believer, that's you and me, who does that, succeeds every single time. The Hebrew word tzalak means succeeds, and it's in the causative stem in the Hebrew grammar, which means the Lord causes us to succeed if we leave it up to him. Now the question I posed to you this morning, and I don't want you to answer me, is, do you need spiritual refreshment? Are you comfortable in your comfort zone? Do you get a little bit worked up when someone challenges you? But of course there's nothing wrong when you challenge something, somebody else. Don't you believe that we should as a church go forward and be a wonderful example to the rest of the community? Don't you think we should heal all our wounds of the past and put it behind us? No one's perfect. This is a perfect time, I put it to you, to go forward with refreshment, which can only come from the Word of God. And when it does, it stabilises you. And we will be blessed. Because, praise the Lord, Judy Harris had the guts a while back to stand up here and say, the church wasn't getting blessed at one stage. We won't get blessed if we don't have forgiveness. Which reminds me, what's more important in First Corinthians? It's love, isn't it? And without sounding arrogant, I can, I'll use myself as an example just to bring the point home. So I'm a semi-professional builder. Big deal. So I might have the gift of Bible teaching. If I haven't got love, I've got nothing. If I don't talk to you out in that foyer and I intentionally go past you, if I don't answer your phone calls and texts and emails, if I'm not there for you, I have got nothing. All the gifts go to waste if I haven't got love. Are you happy? Would you say you've got inner happiness this morning? Or is it circumstantial you win a lottery you feel fantastic two days later have you got inner happiness you won't get it if you don't rely on God so what should we do to produce good fruit which is divine works again I'll get you on this particular occasion only bear with me to turn to Galatians 5.22 we should know what it is uh, by now dealing with the fruit of the spirit Galatians 
Galatians 5.22, the God of perfection, unlike my father, who would be destructive instead of constructive. And I had to work out what I did wrong. Thank you for sharing that with me. Our Lord is beautiful. He gives us the negative, then he gives us the positive. He says, look, this is what you did wrong. This is what you've got to do. So, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. We know them, but do we do them? Could we say that we produce that fruit? Notice how love is the first one, which is pretty obvious. But the one that's a real sore point with me is joy. I mean, for you to be number two on the list there, joy. That's, that's big stuff. That's heavy. Where's that joy? You can't have joy if you're looking over your shoulder wondering if you lost your salvation. We won't get into the arrogance aspect of it, whether it's blasphemy, but we will say you're not actually relying on the Lord. You won't have joy. And so, will you have peace? We heard this morning, you won't have peace. If you don't rely on the Lord who is the Prince of Peace, how can you have peace? And patience, perhaps I can put something into your mind that will help you remember that, regarding a joke that we probably all heard. Someone praised the Lord and said, Heavenly Father, I want patience and I want it now. (laughs) Kindness, a little self-explanatory. We love it when people are kind to us, but we don't have time to be kind to others. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Whoa, uh, I've got a soft spot for that one, self-control. Boy, is that missing in the world today, especially Christians. And yes, I will go on record as saying it, some of the best people in the world are Christians. Now wait for some of the worst people in the world are Christians. Some you don't want to touch with a 20 foot pole. You love them, you love them from afar. You've sacrificed yourself for them, sure. But some are unbearable. And one reason is because they've got no self control. Against such things there is no law. Now, because of time restrictions, we won't go through the last three verses of the psalm, which deal with the unbeliever, psalm number one, and uh, it deals with the unbeliever in the form of judgment, how they will be judged. I thank you for your patience, and I'd like you to bow your heads and close your eyes for privacy. We dedicate the final moments of this service to anyone here this morning without Christ, consequently without hope, and without eternal life. We want you to know that there's no coincidence that you're here this morning. We want you to know that God loves you Yes, he did die for you too. And being God-man, perfect God, in human form, he knew you before you were born. And rest assured, he had you in mind as he was walking, 
to the cross. Now, Joseph Smith, Alan White, Charles T. Russell, Muhammad, Krishna, Allah, these people didn't die for you. Jesus died for you. What are you going to do about it? You're at a particular stage of your life at the moment. How's it working out for you? You've been relying on God, perhaps. How's that working out for you? If you haven't, I won't even bother to ask. Right where you sit right now, you can have eternal life. It's there for the asking. You see... You are a spiritual being in a physical body. Eternal life is what matters. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed unto man once to die and then judgment. Once you die, that's the end of the ball game. Can you guarantee it if I gave you a pen and paper that you will live in the next 24 hours the Bible says today is the day of salvation what are you waiting for in prayer in your words no one else's consider that the Lord of the universe came down to you made the first move and died for you This life is just one big exam. Your life is one exam and it only has one question on the exam paper. What think ye of Christ? What do you think about him? Just a person? Impossible, couldn't have done what he did. A good teacher? There's plenty of those. What makes him so special? 2,000 years ago... People are still dying for him. I mean, are they all mad? Are they all lunatics? Why would you give your life? He loves you. You know, in the religion of Islam, their God, I'll repeat that, their God, not our God, has got 99 names and titles. Not one of them is love. Not one. That's the difference between Christianity and everything else. Just two categories, by the way. Everything else is, look at me, look at me, look at me. Aren't I great? Look what I'm doing, God, and make sure you please your notice and that you bless me, huh? Christianity is look what God did for you. He loves you. In every other faith system, the follower loves God, their God, but with Christianity, God loves you and he's proved it. What are you going to do about it?